Sam Mettler. Welcome back to the EDM podcast. This is episode 73 with Willie Joy. So who is Willie Joy? He's an artist and fellow podcaster from Chicago. He's remixed artists like Major Lazer, Flosterdamas and A-Track. And he's also released original tracks on labels like Fool's Gold and Firepower Records. In addition to that, he's recently launched a podcast called Back to Back, where he interviews artists and really dives deep into their story. How did they get to where they are today? What were their struggles? He's interviewed guys like Diplo, Wolfgang Gartner, GTA and more. This interview is jam-packed with solid, honest advice. It's not the cliche stuff you'll hear elsewhere and some of it may make you feel uncomfortable. We talk about Willie's background, how he got into music, why he moved to Chicago and the people he met there that changed his life and career. Why most producers are playing it safe, how to excel as a new producer, and no one really does this, no one really takes the advice that Willie gives uh, in relation to this topic, and what he's learned through running his podcast and interviewing successful artists. So we talk about all that and a bunch more. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to check out Willie Joy on the web, as well as his podcast, Back to Back. I have everything linked up in the show notes, so just head over to edmprod.com forward slash 73 for those links and more info, including my own takeaways from the show. That is edmprod.com forward slash 73. One more thing to mention before we get into the show, my friend Serik, who I'm sure many of you know, he produces under the name Hyperbits, he messaged me the other day saying he had an idea. He offered to interview me on the EDM podcast, a change of roles. Uh, so he'll be interviewing me, I'll be answering questions. That'll be coming soon, but if there's anything you want to hear my opinion on, uh, just email sam at edmprod.com and I'll pass that on to him and we'll try to get it answered on the show. Anyway, without further ado, here is Willie Joy. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Willie Joy. Willie, how's it going? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's like sunny here, warm day, not even summer yet. So uh, things are good, man. How's your weekend been? Uh, it's been good, man. It's been really, really fun. I didn't have any shows, so I was just home. Uh, yesterday, I met up with a friend who was playing a show in town and actually recorded a podcast of my own with him. And 
Uh, he had a show that night, hung out there, ended up playing back to back with him for a while and had kind of a late night. You can probably hear I'm a little uh, sounding, but no, it was good. Nice, man. I want to talk about your podcast uh, in this episode, but before that, for those who, who don't know you or maybe do know you but don't know much about you, tell us about your background. How did you get into music? How did you get into all of this? Yeah, well, I've been involved with music in one way or another since I was a kid. Um, you know, I just kind of naturally, for whatever reason, fell in love with music at a young age and uh, always played an instrument. Uh, I grew up playing the trumpet and played in orchestra and in jazz bands all throughout high school. Um, and it was pretty good. Uh, and I tried some other instruments, a little bit of guitar, drums for about five minutes. And, you know, I dabbled in a lot of stuff. Started DJing when I was 16, 17, just for fun. Um, I was kind of a little raver kid at that point. And yeah, the, you know, that's how it all started. I, I come from a, a metal background and a hip-hop background and, uh, and a raver background. I guess those would be sort of the three pillars of what I was really passionate about as a kid. From that point, how did you get into production specifically? Uh, so I'll see if I can kind of make a long story short because I was a DJ for many years before I was a producer. Right. And so a large part of the start of my career was just DJing and, and really focusing on just the act of DJing and being a performer. Um, and so I was DJing, you know, like I said, in high school for fun. In college, I started picking up some bar gigs, making some grocery money off of it. And uh, after uh, college, basically I had a, an office job for a couple of years and I was still DJing, but just as a hobby. And uh, the office job, which was actually vaguely, we can talk about that in a second, it's kind of related to production, but uh, they laid me off after a couple of years and I couldn't find work. I was having trouble finding a job and so just sort of out of necessity, I kicked up the, the DJing just to pay my rent and pay my bills and really started hustling. Um, and that's when everything started going well for me. I moved to Chicago around that time, which is where I really started building my career, met a lot of people who became friends and peers and, and big influences in my life to this day. And then the production, came a couple years, uh, like a year after I moved to Chicago. This was about 2007. Um, and it was just that time when a lot of us DJs who had always been DJs were now starting to realize that there was this unexplored avenue of production that could really let us put a personal stamp on our shows and, and just on our careers as a whole. It was around this time that uh, there was a message board called the Holler Board, and it was started by Hollertronics, who was Diplo and Low Budget from Philadelphia. And at the time, you know, Diplo wasn't the Diplo we know now. At the time, we were all just kind of nerds on a message board. But that message board uh, spawned a ton of, of major producers that everybody knows now. Back in those days, we would just uh, 
send stuff back and forth on this message board all the time. And most of it was terrible, but that was sort of where I really started learning to think about making music with a critical ear and think about how a crowd would perceive it, how other DJs would perceive it. So right around 2007, 2008 was when I started getting into it. Right. Um, two questions. The office job, you said it was kind of related to production. What was <laughs> yeah. it? Uh, I'm being a little cheeky, but I was basically making ringtones for cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> and and by that, I don't even mean that I was you know composing the ringtones, but I was literally taking uh, songs and making loops out of the choruses that people would then buy on their phones back when that was a job that anyone had. <laughs> I remember like, yeah, around then actually, you'd pay like a dollar for one of these ringtones, which yeah. was just a chorus. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it sounds so weird to think about now, but back in that day, man, that was a mil- multi-million dollar industry. People, entire careers were made off of those ringtones. It's bizarre to think about now. Yeah, I am ashamed to admit that one of mine was uh, Soldier Boy. Yes. Drink that. Yes. And <laughs> I was about to bring up Soldier Boy because that was his era. I mean, ringtones kind yeah. of his entire career. And uh, it's just strange to me to think about myself at that time just sitting in this kind of dingy little office room making hundreds of these loops a day and then somewhere else across the country, you know, Soldier Boy was making a million dollars off that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said you moved to Chicago and, and you know, meet a lot of people and there were some big influences in your life. Who were they and, and what did they teach you or what did they show you? So, uh, basically... I had a lot of friends, non-musical friends in Chicago, and then when I decided I was going to move there, there were also a lot of people there doing really interesting music that I didn't know yet, but I basically just became determined that they were going to become my friends. And I kind of just willed that to happen. Uh, the, the biggest one that comes to mind off the bat is Flostradamus. And they were there, um, this was before they were a big name, but they were in Chicago throwing a monthly party there called Get Out of the Hood, which was a tiny little party uh, in a venue that fit about 100 people on a Tuesday, either a Tuesday or a Wednesday night in sort of a weird area of town. It was all these factors that should have made it a failure and, you know, instead ended up making it just this legendary party for the culture of Chicago and I messaged them on MySpace before I was coming to town basically just saying you know hey I'm this guy you don't know me I DJ and I'll be here soon so see you then <laughs> and, uh, this was kind of in the era where that kind of just internet hollering actually could work it was sort of before the era of really thirsty people messaging you 10 times a day, sending you SoundCloud links, you know, all of that that I think all of us are pretty fatigued with at this point. But back in those days, it was just a smaller scene. And so, you know, they wrote me back and they said, hey, cool. Yeah, come to the show. Um, I went out there. I met them. We became pretty fast friends. And 
they both both Josh and Kurt, you know, Flasterdamas as a duo split up now, but both Josh and Kurt became really good friends of mine and and influences of mine. As far as what I learned from them, I think I was just inspired by their hustle and their creativity because instead of uh, waiting for anyone to come and, and reach a hand out to them or help them, they built this movement completely on their own doing sort of what on paper seemed like all the wrong things all the things you shouldn't do to be successful and people just gravitated towards it like what's an example what's an example of that well but what i was saying before about they threw this night in sort of an unpopular area of town on a tuesday or wednesday when you would think no one would want to go out at this tiny little bar that was not even really a, a good venue it was you know it's sort of this gross dive bar with a terrible sound system you know all of that being said it was sort of that unique vibe that made them successful it was them choosing to go to the neighborhood that no one else would go to and to play you know musically what they were playing at the time was also revolutionary it was you know these were the mashup days and the party jams days and so you would go to their parties and you would hear a dirty south rap record followed by a justice record followed by a clash record from the 80s you know all of these different things mashed up which i guess in today's world that maybe doesn't sound so crazy because djing has evolved to the point where crowds have come to expect a lot of different things from a DJ but in those days playing a bunch of styles together in one night it was just unheard of and just the vibes were were legendary you could tell it's one of those uh, kind of nights where you could tell everybody had this sort of silent understanding that what they were witnessing this night that we were all a part of was really historical and different and you know it was just kind of a legendary period for for dance music and for DJing in Chicago I think I want to come back to um this in a second but do you think that too many people artists specifically are playing it safe managers as well actually but I was talking to a guy the other day he said it's so easy to be creative in today's music industry because everyone's playing it safe they're just doing like what you're supposed to do you know yeah, I think that absolutely is true. Um, I was just talking to a friend of mine about this the other day. And I think it's a tough problem because not only is it easier to play it safe, but oftentimes you get more short-term rewards from playing it safe. You know, say you're a DJ playing at a festival or something like that, and you just go out there and you play all the big anthems and you know just play sort of a, a cookie cutter festival set that will you know you'll probably have a great day the crowd will love it because they hear all their anthems and you'll get a lot of good feedback because you're playing all this popular music and you know it's sort of a can't miss situation but what gets lost with that kind of thing is that those short-term rewards will probably turn into long-term losses if that's really your mentality. Because if you're just out there 
playing a cookie cutter set, playing only the popular sounds, and doing what a lot of other people are doing, then when the trends move on, as they always do, you're going to be kind of left in the lurch if you haven't really, you know, staked your flag in anything, if you haven't put your own spin on it, come up with something that's personal to you and made a personal connection with your audience, you know, if you were just kind of getting in while the money was good, I don't see a long-term future in it for you. You just become a commodity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're a commodity and you see it even with promoters and agents too. You know, I've heard plenty of stories from my agent and other agents of promoters just saying, hey, I want to throw this big show. Just, uh, you know, send me six of your guys, you know, and and, and that concept to me is so funny because it's, they don't even care at a certain point. They just want, you know, big names or, or, or just big sounds that they know are the popular sounds and all of that, man, it's, it's a short term gain. You know, if, if you just want to make some money, then sure, go for it. But if you really want a career in music, I think, especially when you're just starting out, it's really important to take the time to figure out what makes you different and what makes your perspective different and what you personally want to communicate. Yeah, I think that's super important. So just quickly, you were in Chicago, 2007, 2008, and getting into production. Now it's 2017. What have the last oh, 10 years, far out 10 years, like how, what, what happened? Man, uh, well, that's a big question. Uh, a lot happened. You know, so when I was in Chicago, my first release ever uh, was a straight to vinyl, completely DIY, self released uh, four track EP that I put out myself. And it was a couple tracks from me and a couple tracks from some friends of mine in Chicago who I had been working with and throwing shows with. And that was the first ever time that music I made had been released to the world. And I was super excited and, you know, and it's, it's bad. I mean, it's really bad if you go back and listen to it now. I, at that time, basically when I was in college, I was in a music program and what I was mainly learning was classical composite composition on one hand and studio recording techniques on the other hand. But what I wasn't learning and, and what would sort of set me back a little bit was actual music production techniques. And so when I came out of school, what I knew was Pro Tools. And honestly, I, I just wasn't thinking critically as much in those days. And so at first I was trying to make electronic music on Pro Tools, like just in a really caveman backwards way trying to sort of chop up audio in Pro Tools and sequence drums, using Pro Tools in a way it was not intended to be used. And so that first vinyl release was all these sort of weird, uh, you know, cut and paste tracks that I had put together in Pro Tools. So that was the very first thing. And then to sort of speed it up from there, I learned Ableton shortly after that. And Ableton is still what I use to this day. 
And it was just a slow process of, of kind of picking up tips and tricks, uh, going to other friends' studios. And eventually, you know, I started getting better. Even getting into, say, you know, 2010, 2011, I'd still say I wasn't great at production. I was releasing music, but it's only, I'd say, in the last three or four years that I felt like my production really came into its own. And that's when I started linking up with larger artists, uh, working with bigger artists, working with, you know, bigger labels. I've been lucky enough that my tracks have been released on, on some fairly big labels at this point. Yeah, so I mean, that kind of is a really quick way to bring us up 10 years, but there's plenty of, of weird and interesting stories in between there, depending on where you want to start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because there's a lot of new producers listening to this and they're probably, you know, I don't, I don't know, they're just starting, they're kind of thinking, I want to turn this into something. I want to do it full time. Eventually, I don't know how hard it is. Knowing what you know now, if you could go back and perhaps do some things differently, what would you do? Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest things I would tell my past self is to to have patience and to try to have a little bit more of an objective perspective on how I fit into everything. Because I was... I've always been a slow learner and a, a slow to develop kind of guy, which is not uh, putting myself down, but it, for me, I just need a lot of repetition. And sometimes I would sort of put the, the cart in front of the horse when I was trying to get my name out there and build my career, where if I had focused, you know, if I had been quiet for six months and not you know, just sent my music to a lot of people and not gotten in a lot of people's faces back then and just focused on my craft a lot intensively, you know, looked at it as a full-time job even when I wasn't making any money off of it. I think that would have been really valuable in terms of accelerating my success. You know, I still ended up in a, in a good place where I can live off of my music and do all the things I want to do, but it took me a long time to get there. And so, you know, looking back at that, yeah, I would say patience and perspective because really no one is good at production when they start. Everyone's bad. Production is a hard thing to do. And I think it really does take at minimum a year for some people, many years of hard work until you have something that's ready to be heard. You know, there's two different sides to it. There's the technical execution of it which is hard to learn and takes a long time. And what we were talking about earlier, your perspective on it, right? And your objective, uh, you know, personality and what you bring to it as far as your life experiences and what you want to say with the music. And that also can take a long time to figure out how to translate, you know, what you feel into what you make. That's a really hard, intangible thing to do. And so, you know, I, I guess if I was just giving a concise piece of advice, it would just be take your time, you know, with the internet being what it is in 2017, everyone feels all this pressure to be making content constantly and to be posting things constantly. 
And I think that is not going to really help out a lot of young producers. I think what's really going to help you out is to bide your time, to work quietly in silence, keep your head down, and you know, do that for a year. And when you come out, you'll be leagues ahead of where all your peers are. 100% agree. And I think that is sorely needed advice. The thing is, a lot of people, even though they've heard it, just won't do it because it's hard. But I think they should. <laughs> yeah, I, it's tough, man, because that advice is not the fun advice. That's basically saying it's going to suck for a while, but it'll be good later, which is never, no one wants to hear that. You know, I wouldn't <laughs> hear that, but it is the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, you started up a podcast a while back. I think I saw it, episode one. Um, I always see the electronic music podcast because there's hardly any of them. It's called Back to Back, right? That's right. Yeah, Back to Back. What made you want to start that? Like, what made you think, I want to start a podcast and interview artists? Well, you know, a couple different things. One being that I'm a podcast junkie myself, and I was listening, I listen to a lot of podcasts with comedians, and I listen to a lot of podcasts with actors, and people in other forms of artistic expression. And I'm always fascinated to hear not only these people's creative processes, but also just, you know, you get a better sense of their personality. So if you like somebody's art, if you listen to them on a podcast, at least for me, you appreciate them on a different level. And I was sort of wondering why very few, almost nobody was doing this for electronic music. And you know, I've been in the game a long time. I know a lot of the, the players, a lot of these people, and it just seemed to me like it wouldn't be that hard to, to have a conversation with these guys. And I'm sure you know as, as well as I do, you know, there's so many fascinating characters in the music world, the production world, you know, people with crazy stories, people from all walks of life. And so I wanted to get those stories out there. I wanted to give them a platform that they might not have otherwise had and then on the other hand, I think the level of discourse in electronic music is kind of embarrassingly low. And I think, you know, these no one's having these kinds of conversations that you and I are, are having right now. And from an outside perspective, electronic music, particularly, you know, what is called EDM now, it's such a bad rap in the press from, you know, anyone who doesn't know what it is, they assume it's just kind of mindless, you know, simple music for people to take drugs to. And, and while that may be true in certain cases, it goes so much deeper than that. And so I just wanted to, you know, celebrate all the, the cool characters and awesome producers and great musicians and yeah, just kind of give people a, a window into that world behind the scenes, give a little access to people who might not know how that world works or know how to get into that world. And it's just been a lot of fun, man. I've learned a lot from doing it. It's been creatively inspiring to me. It's helped me break through some walls in my own music production, just you know, having these conversations with other producers, other artists. And yeah, it's, it's just been a blast, man. We've been doing it. About six months now, uh, our first first episode, we had Diplo, and from there, we've had people like 
Flostradamus, who we mentioned, Cruella, Wolfgang Gardner, just recorded one with Cascade that's going to drop uh, in a few weeks. So, you know, we it's been a good mix of people, really interesting, all walks of life. I, it's just great, man. I love it. And I'm sure as a fellow podcaster, you can relate. I think it really does help your own creative process just to kind of take part in it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you're trying to appeal also to non-artists? Yeah. To be honest, it's funny. Someone asked me this the other day, you know, who is your audience? Who are your listeners? And I don't totally know yet because it's a, it's a new show. We've been doing it about six months. And so, you know, the aspiring producers and the people trying to get into the music industry are definitely a part of it. But the fans, you know, just the people who love the music are, are another part because it's my show is, is a little less focused on production. We do cover it, but it's, it's more about sort of the life experiences and the life lessons and just how to survive a career in the music industry because it, it's a weird thing that we do, man. It's a bizarre job to pick. It brings a lot of stresses and anxieties with it. And, you know, despite the fact that we all project as rock stars and that we're all killing it, you know. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's funny now that I'm thinking about it. There, there's a lot of content in other industries like comedy, so on and so on. You know, you're having interviews happen and you can Google someone's name and find out a lot about them. You can listen to like a one hour podcast episode. What I've found with the EDM industry is when I try to research an artist to have them on the podcast, there's nothing out there. Like I can't find out anything about them beyond just their bio on their website. And there's just like, there's no information. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. And that's another component too, is that especially in 2017, so much of electronic music and, and EDM in particular is about the brand, right? An artist is this sort of... Uh, a, a brand that's not transparent. All you get is sort of what is what is allowed to come out about them, which is oftentimes very surface level, exactly yeah. what you were just saying. And so I think, you know, yeah, the podcast can be a really cool way to go a little deeper and to actually figure out what kind of people are making this music that we like. Because you're right, mm -hmm. it's, it's not as simple as, say, a comedian, where if you hear a comedian talk, you get a pretty good sense of who that person is and what they're all about. But with an artist, you know, if you just hear the music and you just see their brand and you see a couple of hashtags that they use, you know, or whatever it is, uh, that's, that's kind of all you get. And you have no idea who that person actually is. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and I think people want storytelling like fans, so, man. <laughs> I really think they do. I know I do. What have you learned through running back to back so far? Man, what have I learned? Well, I've learned that uh, making a podcast every week is a lot more work than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so I mean, definitely, you know, time management, honestly, from a boring practical answer, I, I've learned some more about time management because my own career, my own output took a little hit because I was spending so much time getting this show off the ground. Yeah, how do you manage that now? Like what, what changes did you make? 
Well, you know, I, I I've got a little team behind it now. Um, my my manager, my artist manager, has also kind of become the producer for the show, and so he's helping me a lot with uh, booking the artists who appear on it and setting up when everything is going to happen and helping with the promotion of it, all of that sort of stuff, which is allowing me to kind of just devote, you know one day a week to, to doing the podcast, to going out, meeting people, recording it, doing the research. I edit them as well, which takes more time. So I, I try to now just keep it to one, maybe two days a week. And, and then the rest, you know, if I'm not on the road, just in the studio working on my, my own music. But, you know, when I was just launching it, there was so much to do and I had no idea how to do any of it that it was just taking up all my time. So I think it's really about, uh, you know, for time management skills, I don't know, man, I'm no expert on it, but I think it's really about making a routine that you can stick to because I think it's really easy to sort of make a plan for your week of this day I'll do this, this day I'll do that, but unless it's something you can repeat over and over, you're just going to have to remake the schedule the next week and that's going to eat up more of your time. So I think it's really about figuring out, you know, for you as a person, everybody's different, you know, what time are you most effective during the day? For me, I work, the bulk of my best work is in the afternoon. And, and for a long time, I thought I was, you know, one of those crazy creative artists who could only work at night. And, and then once I just experimented trying going to bed early or waking up early, all of a sudden my work got so much better yeah. And so, you know, I, I think I would just say experiment with when you're most effective during the day and just figure out how everything you need to get done fits in. You know, if you're not creative in the morning, then send emails in the morning and work later. If, you know, any of that, you just have to figure out how to maximize your time. One thing I, I want to come back to the podcast just on productivity and time management, this kind of departs from the whole idea of an electronic music production podcast, but I'm I'm sure it can be applied. One thing that really works well for me, I can't remember who told me it. They said, have themes for your days. So, you know, for me running the business, it's like Monday might be admin day. Like I get all my admin stuff done. Tuesday and Wednesday might be, oh, I'm working on product. Thursday might be podcast. Friday might be content. You can do that as an artist, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, production, Thursday, networking, whatever. Like I, I find that helps a lot because you just wake up and if it's consistent and routine, like you said, uh, you can kind of get in that headspace for just a day and just focus on like one thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point too, is just not trying to spread yourself too thin. And even if you have a lot of things to do, you're feeling a lot of pressure just focus on the one task in front of you. And then when that's done, focus on the one next task. I think that's absolutely the best way to do it. Absolutely. So you're up to episode 23, is that right? Uh, 25 now, I think. What are some of the common themes you come across with artists like through talking about or asking about their stories? Are there any common occurrences or common struggles that they face? that maybe some people don't know about because they don't see the behind the scenes stuff? You know, one very common theme, and this makes sense, is that no one is successful overnight. And oftentimes 
from an outside perspective, from a fan or a listener perspective, it seems like, you know, all of these people just blow up in the blink of an eye and all of a sudden they're famous and touring the world. And definitely one thing the podcast has helped, I think, bring to light. I, I mean, I knew it because my story was exactly the same, but I think one thing it's helped bring to light is that, you know, for someone to, to blow up overnight, to have that perception what that really means is that they worked really hard for 10 years, you know, in obscurity and, and struggling. Um, so there's lots of stories of the come up and, you know, the situations people would be in broke, you know, living in sketchy places, all just in service of trying to, you know, chase those, those crazy EDM dreams. And I think that definitely doesn't get talked about as much as it should because it's something we've all gone through and something that someone just getting into the industry may have to go through too. You know, nothing is instant, especially in the music industry. Um, That's definitely one lesson and one story. I'm trying to think of of other common themes. You know, I, I think the other maybe common theme that comes up a bit is just the peaks and valleys of a career, too. You know, everybody likes to focus on when an artist is really hot, or when an artist is really popping. That's when everybody pays attention. But, you know, when those artists' careers plateau or maybe even take a dip, the public stops paying attention, but the artist is still there trying, right? And and so it's those uh you know darker times too that i think we've i've heard a lot of stories of that on the podcast and that's another thing that doesn't get talked about is that the music industry can be a pretty harsh mistress and pretty unforgiving and they'll love you when you're hot but then the second you're not you know it's uh, it's hard to find a friend sometimes so i think hearing those stories has helped me a lot because those were experiences I've had in my own career as well. And hearing that so many other people, my peers and my friends have gone through those same things. I think that helps, you know, it's, it's solidarity. At the end of the day, anyone who's trying to make it in the music industry, I don't care if you're completely unknown, 10 followers on SoundCloud, or if you're the biggest artist in the world, we're all doing the same shit, right? We're all sitting in front of a computer trying to express ourselves, hoping people like the music. And so really we're doing the same thing, regardless of how big or how small, what level you do it on. That's something I want to bring to the podcast and something I think I'm working on getting is just that sense of community. How do you and others deal with those valleys? Um, it can be hard, man. It's It's dark times. I think... Really, you just had this. This is going to sound kind of corny, but you have to look at any dark time as an opportunity to make uh, a change and an even bigger success for yourself in the future. Because if you're in, if you're in a bad place, if your career is not where you want it to be, if it's going poorly, there is a reason for that. And whether that reason is because of something you're doing or because of the situation you're in or the people around you, you know, it could be anything, but it's an opportunity to make a change. And that's sort of the the hard part, the special sauce is being able to take a step back and recognize that, yeah, this is really bad right now, but if 
you know, what's, what's making it bad and, and how could I change that and look at it as an opportunity. You know, if you didn't get it right the first time, I think the only way we really learn is through making a mistake and then repeating it and not making that mistake. And so take it, you know, I, I guess that would be my little motivational speech is just take it as an opportunity, as a learning experience. And you kind of have to humble yourself. You can't have an ego about it because if you start getting bitter that, uh, why is this guy getting, you know, this thing, I'm better than him or, you know, any kind of thinking like that, you, you just got to humble yourself and say, you know, here's where I'm at and here's how I can do better. And honestly, the, the music industry, man, rewards hard work more than anything else. I agree, but a lot of people don't believe that. I know. Yeah, it's true. I've argued this with a lot of other people, too. And, and certainly there are examples of people being rewarded who maybe haven't worked as hard. But even those people, people who may have gotten over on a brand or something that we might think is corny, there's still work in that. It might not be work making music, but, you know, they found an angle. And, and that's what I try to tell people is, you just have to find your own lane, your own angle. And if you're a technical production whiz, then maybe that can be it. Maybe you can be known for, you know, these cutting edge sounds and all of that. But if you're not a technical whiz, maybe you can be known for the, the interesting sounds you use or the, the new style or the new perspective you bring. Or, you know, it's 2017, man. I mean, you know, you could be known for the funny videos you make. There's certain, you know, any of that. I don't judge any of it, man, because making it in the industry is hard. If you can figure out a way to do it and be successful at it and help other people and not just kind of be a leech out there taking from other people. I mean, I, th I support anyone who's able to make it for the most part because it's hard to do. And if somebody does it in a way that is different from how you did it, instead of being bitter or being mad about the way they made it, just see what you can learn from their rise. You know, see if they did something that you could kind of put your own spin on and put in your own arsenal. Everything is a learning experience. Yeah, that's one thing I like about this more long-form discussion is that people can listen to that, hear mistakes and uh, successes from other people professional artists and kind of pull things out of that and not not use that as a blueprint because that's not a good idea right but learn from others mistakes uh, yeah. instead of just making all of them yeah, by themselves man i mean i you know if i can offer anything i hope it's that i can help people become successful faster than i was you know i it took me a long time and it took me you know i've I've had all kinds of crazy, you know, back in the day I had Diplo telling me, you know, hey, stop emailing me so much, you're annoying, you know, all this kind of stuff that I was just a kid, I didn't know what I was doing, but if, you know, through your podcast and through my podcast and these long form stories, if we can expose people to these kind of common pitfalls, you know, uh, the rising tide raises all boats, right? It's going to help everybody. Definitely, yeah. Okay, Willie, I've got two more questions. So you're running the podcast. On one hand, you're talking to people who, who have made it, but you're also on the internet. So you're seeing the wider EDM production community as a whole. What frustrates you about that? What frustrates you about the electronic music 
community, if you will, at the moment? You know, I think what frustrates me is sort of what we touched on earlier in that a lot of people are playing it safe and there's just a lot of copying and trend following happening and less innovation than I would like to see. Um, because we've sort of entered the, the social media age of making music where, you know, if a hit song comes out, five minutes later, there's a hundred more songs that kind of sound like that hit song. And people, you know, just want to get in on the next wave. And, and, you know, a good way to get views and to get likes is to make something that already sounds like something popular. So that's a frustration for me in that I think... A lot of new productions are all becoming the same. You know, I get sent hundreds of, of promos every week. And I'll listen, you know, most of them, I can listen to them for 10 seconds and turn it off because they all, I know what they're referencing. You know, like I know what song they were listening to when they made the song they're sending me. It's just very transparent. And that's, that's a frustration that no one's out there kind of taking risks and, and, being the innovator and then on the flip side what i would say to encourage people to do it is you know the few people who do do that those are going to be the next people that everyone copies you know it's it's a riskier proposition but it'll pay off in the long term so that's that's a frustration for me for sure it's just all this shit starting to sound the same it's boring i'm, I'm kind of over it yes yeah, so i'm a <laughs> <laughs> uh and, and final question what do you see, this is kind of a hard question to answer, but what do you see happening in this industry scene over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, that's a really hard question. You know, to be honest, I think anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen is a liar. I don't think anyone. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, uh, you know. Speculation. Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, <laughs> I think. I, I have a generally positive outlook. I feel like I've been pretty critical in this conversation, but my outlook overall is actually really positive. I think there's more talented producers now than there's ever been before. I think right now there's more focus on the producer than there's ever been in music history before. And I think that is allowing people to realize that just production is cool and production can be a career you don't have to you know necessarily be the forefront artist you know there's a million ways to, to make your career making music and be happy and you know for me as far as where i see it going man so you know i've re i've released records with you know with mad decent and i've released records with fool's gold and you know a lot of the a lot of the labels that are sort of the hot button labels for interesting underground dance music right now and talking to those guys and seeing where they're headed, I think that has given me a little bit of an insight. You know, you look at a Mad Decent, and right now they're heading into more of a, a not a pop territory, but they're, they're staying away from kind of the bangers and the festival tracks, and they've kind of split into making more vocal pop-leaning tracks. Like actual songs. Yeah, songs, exactly. And then they're also going back to more underground styles of club music, uh, you know, sort of more, uh, I'm not going to say intelligent, but just more interesting styles that aren't the trendy styles. And I think that is probably something we're going to see in the next five to ten years is 
a return, you know, EDM had went overground, right? It became mainstream, but nothing lasts forever. And I think there's a fatigue from that. So I think we probably will see a return to the underground, you know, maybe instead of one giant scene, it'll be a lot of smaller scenes, each with their own kind of interesting brand of music. And I, I think, you know, that's what music needs, man. It builds up, it breaks down, it's cyclical, it's always been that way. So, yeah, I think uh, a return to the underground is, would maybe be my, my prediction. But, you know, what do I know? <laughs> I think that's reasonable. Willie, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a great conversation. Any last words for, for the listeners? Last words. No, thank you for having me, man. I'm, I'm glad you're doing this. I really like your show as well. I'm happy to be here. Check out my podcast, Back to Back with Willie Joy. If you enjoy this, I think you'll enjoy that and vice versa. And uh, yeah, I got a lot of new music coming in 2018. So just follow me at Willie Joy on all social media. And uh, that's it. Thanks for having me, man. 